Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Strange Exodus by Robert Abernathy. You commented to me that uh, he's not all that well known these days. You want to tell us uh, why you picked this story for us to talk about? I enjoyed reading it, but still. Sure. Um, one of the one of the things that I, I think makes me different from a lot of uh, people who read science fiction is I'm very visually orient- oriented. You know, I I love covers and I love interior art. And if you pick up like a a lot of the anthologies I did are collections from the 80s, the 70s, um, where they reprint stories that were in old magazines. One of the things they almost never do is include the art, any art, new art or the original art. And in the pulp era, you know, between the 1910s and the 1960s or even into the 70s, um, they almost always had a story. A story would usually have at least one piece of art, sometimes two or three, um, sometimes dozens. And so when I'm going through old magazines, like in this case, Planet Stories, I was going through Planet Stories Fall 1950, looking for good stuff. I just was suddenly struck by the what I think is a wonderful image, very iconic image of a man standing on the back of a what looked like a giant sandworm from Dune. Uh, and the earth around him dwarfed by this massive creature. Uh, seeing that, I said, oh my God, I got to read this story. And the, the caption that goes with the beginning of it, I guess the editorial introduction, I think is equally mesmerizing. And uh, it, it absolutely made me read the story. So I'll just read that caption. It goes, gigantic, mindless, The monsters had come out of the interstellar space to devour Earth. They gnawed at her soil, drank deep of her seas. Where on this gutted cosmic carcass could humanity flee? And I just thought, wow, what a cool story. You know, usually alien invasions are not like by, you know, mindless worms from outer space that are the size of, I don't know. That's terrific that you were attracted by that. I, I, I couldn't help but notice looking at the, uh, the, the PDF that you've produced that mm-hmm. uh, the editor of, uh, of Planet Stories at this point is Jerome Bixby, mm-hmm. whose most famous story, It's a Good Life, um, mm-hmm. is about um, someone who is in the process of destroying the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess Bixby gets that theme and he's given us something really evocative and and he pulled you in and i'm glad he did because i like the story too uh there there's so many things to like about this story and yet i still feel it it is a it is a kind of um hack work but it's such great hack work because it's so and i'm not maybe not hack maybe that's that's not generous enough but it, it there's it's not that well written but it has so many fun ideas and it delivers it in a short space and this is actually what i think you know sense of wonder science fiction is all about and it it really is science fiction it he really does care about it 
And so even though it's right in the title, you know, Exodus, there's a lot of biblical imagery. Uh, this is not, uh, you know, it, it is still 100% science fiction. And I, I, I just really dig what Abernathy does in this little story. So, so what does he do? What, what's the plot? And how does he science-size it? Yeah, so um, the, the main character is named Westover. He, he was a scientist. Um, and suddenly they, they, they saw a comet in the sky. It, it turned out not to be a comet. It turned out to be a, a fleet of paras- uh, not parasitics, uh, worms from some outer space, uh, maybe existing on another planet similar to Earth at one time. But they came down to Earth and just started eating all the greenery. Everything that was alive, they would eat. And because humans are mobile, uh, the humans could get out of the way, but these worms are just eating everything on the Earth. They tried using weapons against them, uh, and they did manage to destroy them, but because the creatures are the way they are, and they're sort of unicellular, even though they're massive... No, no. They're they're like slime molds. They are... They have one cell after another that's identical. Right. So it's a multicellular organism, but they are not. Um, right. They, they they are not like us in that they've got functioning parts in the same way. Right. They're like uh, tapeworms. They've got yeah you know, yeah. In fact, got a business uh, end. They got another business end, and in between in between the 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 two ends of the pearl necklace, you can get all the pearls you like. Right. And so uh, they are unstoppable. And and at the beginning of the story, and I like that we start in the middle of this experience, uh, Westover is just trying to survive. He stumbles across, uh, as he's going through a flooded valley, um, what he thinks is just a bare earth rock. And it turns out that it is one of these massive monsters. He climbs aboard and tries to survive. Uh, ends up eating part of the worm and drinking uh, of the liquid that bubbles up from where he cut it. Um, and then... Of course, uh, I think we should make clear, this thing is five miles long. Yes. So, you know, we don't know how big and wide the piece of it that he encounters is, but it's no wonder that the thing doesn't react to him clamoring up the side of it. Right. It's... Uh, it, it, what, what's so cool is that he, he is just where he's in survival mode when the story begins. And then we get this sort of old fashioned flashback uh, to that explains the backstory. You want to take it from there? No, no. Tell, tell. Okay. So um, he explains how he was in a, a jet aircraft flying high above that he had, uh, he he experiences this in sort of a waking dream, I guess, uh, recalling past events, and that how in their attempts to understand the creatures, they understood that you know they can't be poisoned to death, at least not with the current technology they have. They can't be nuked. They can't be, uh, you know, burned. Nothing can stop them. And so, uh, people have basically given up all hope. And yet he's trying to survive. He, he, in his efforts to survive, when he wakes, um, he he finds himself in the morning that the the creature is over water. Actually, he's on it for several weeks. It sounds like um, living a the life of a parasite, uh, 
like a mosquito sucking the blood of the host. And eventually he starts hearing voices um, and uh, is taken into the beast itself where he meets a uh, a Moses-like figure who describe who introduces them to a society of uh, endoparasites as opposed to an ectoparasite. And they've determined that they will survive um, the destruction of the earth by living uh, inside of these creatures until they reach another planet. It, it's a generation starship story as well as <laughs> no, destruction of the earth story and an alien invasion. And it's 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 it, this is a huge story for just such such a short story. It is. Yeah, I like I like the uh, the 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 hard SF aspects of it as well. Um, what what Westover figures out is a way to kill these things, but we're not told what that way is for a while. The waking dream he has involves some soft-spoken, bespectacled man who later turns out to be. Sutton, um, who is the doctor in this uh, endoparasitic community. Um, The man who finds um, Westover when Westover is uh, is in the process of digging down to get himself some more um, monster flesh (laughs) to eat one day um, is called the preacher. And uh, the whole system uh, lets us know how these things evolved. And it gives, I'm not saying 100% convincing, but it gives a good hard SF attempt to say, well, just as uh, sea creatures managed to go into a hostile environment on the land in Earth evolution, uh, what happened was that these mindless creatures managed to go out into space. They, They attained what minded creatures never could, space travel. And then they figure out how they do it. They generate gas within themselves, uh, which they can then uh, keep under enormous pressure in their bodies. And at the crucial time, they can release the gas the way one would a reaction engine and propel themselves into space where they can live as long as they need to on their own stored fats until they find another Earth-like planet. We know they need an Earth-like planet because they found us. And we have analyzed them before they wiped us out or wiped out the greenery, as you put it, said. Um, And so we know that their bodies are compatible with ours. So we know they're eventually going to find, they're going to seek to find another Earth-like planet. So part of the the hard SF is that Westover, um, he's come up with a way of killing them. But at this point, if you kill them, what's going to happen? All of these mobile humans that you mentioned are going to be at each other's throats and they're going to kill each other. And uh, who knows if if human life will survive on an earth that's been so devastated by the, the eating that the monsters have done. When Westover says that he's got a way to kill them, Sutton says, well, you've been, you're too late for that or perhaps too early. Mm -hmm. And then we get a discussion about what it means to be a good parasite uh, the caption under that picture that you liked was, uh, thus began for him a weird existence, the life of a parasite, of a flea on a dog. When you think about it, the one thing that a flea and a dog absolutely have in common as a goal is the survival of the dog. 
right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, and the story talks about, you know, you don't want to be a parasite like bubonic plague. You kill all your hosts and then you wind up dying. What you want is to be a good parasite. And so Sutton says to Westover, you can't let people know the idea that you've got because it'll work, but you can't let them know that because we may be in space for generation after generation. We can't kill them. We'll have no, we'll, we'll die. So then they come up with this terrific idea, (laughs) right? What you do (laughs) is you leave the instructions for how to kill the monsters, which itself is an interesting instruction, um, how to do it. You leave these instructions in such a way that only really smart people will be able to understand the instructions, will be able to decode it, will even realize that the message exists as a message. On the presumption that the really smart people will know that they shouldn't use this knowledge until the monsters have brought whoever survives um, back to another Earth-like planet. Then kill them, and then you've got the planet. So mm-hmm. it gives you a second chance. It's like back to Eden. Um, Absolutely. Now, what I like here is the, 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 the discourse about intelligence. The mindless worms, because of evolution, have been able to achieve what the minded humans never have, space travel. But the humans have themselves been parasites on the Earth, always eating green stuff. Right. And the other animals that themselves eat green stuff. And these monsters are parasites. They just go from planet to planet to eat whatever is there. So the question is not, will you be a parasite? The question is, who will be the best parasite? And it turns out that although at the beginning of the, the story it looks like the mindless monsters are the more successful creatures, in fact, thanks to Westover and Sutton, it's the intelligent parasites that turn out to be the better creatures anyway, which is a terrific hook for appealing to the young readers of science fiction, right? Oh, mm. it's my super brain that makes me powerful, even if yep. I am not really powerful in my own real life. So th- we've got here this discussion of intelligence versus not intelligence. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I, else I like, uh, I don't know... This is a question. Um, how much one has to know? Is this just, is this just uh, icing on the cake or is this somehow essential? There are many displays of cultural knowledge in this story. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, um, there's a reference to uh, destruction by aliens who come from space um, as being like the War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. In the War of the Worlds... Um, our main character encounters other characters in the post-apocalyptic period um, and before the monsters themselves are killed by bacteria and humans aren't able to kill them. Um, and one of the people he encounters is called the curate. Um, he's a, you know, a, a preacher. And he turns out to be wild-eyed, have just no idea about how to do anything, and our main guy has to, has to get away from him. Right. That blind faith is useless. But in this story, we meet the preacher. That's the guy who brings uh, brings Westover down into the, the, the domain of the endoparasites and the doctor and Westover. And there's an interesting uh, contrast made between Westover and Sutton. Westover has been the more practical and Sutton has been the more theoretical. 
and they need to merge their knowledge, both how to survive long enough to get out of space and then how to kill the being when they get to a new planet. Uh, they both need to put that together to be the most effective mind. But it turns out they also need the preacher. It turns out that the preacher is someone they really need to have because the, the faith to keep going even when neither theory nor practice seems adequate to deal with the problem right now, that, that long view that comes with faith, that's the, the third leg of the tripod. And in that sense, this story acts as a, uh, a critique of Wells. There is no convenient evolutionary bug that just gets rid of the monsters and leaves humanity safe. In fact, it's humanity, practice, theory, and faith that gives humanity a way to itself go and then succeed in the future. It is indeed a very strange exodus. Um, <laughs> there are other places, too. There's, the, the, there's a, a line that says that um, it looks like we're going to have to move from mensch als rabtair to mensch um, als schwartoser. Um, from man as the predator to man as the parasite. Now, I'd never encountered that second phrase, the German for man as parasite, but Mensch als Raubtier, man as a predator, is a famous phrase from a book called um, something like the Man, uh, uh, Civilization and Technique or something like that. I'll, I'll have to look it up. It's a book... Um, by Oswald Spengler, who talks about how industrialization may destroy the world. Mm -hmm. Now, that Spengler is the guy who is best known for his book, The Decline of the West, in which he talks about how an industrialized capitalist system will eventually destroy itself and will be gone forever. The West will be over, according to Spengler. Yeah, he, he says uh, civilization is a super organism, right? And that exactly mirrors something. This story but, but is... Wait, but Jesse, Jesse, notice the first word of this story is the name of the character, as you pointed out. You like his this starting point. His name is Westover. Mm -hmm. But the West won't be over because Westover here learns not to be man as predator, but man as parasite by using the wisdom of Sutton and the preacher. Mm -hmm. It's giving the lie to Spengler. This is a super optimistic SF, right? That's, it is all about, you know, we need to synthesize or be in symbiosis with all the elements of society in the right way so that we can have the wisdom later on uh, to survive and, and transition from being this endoparasite to our new Eden, right? The new Eden on this other planet that we go to. This, the, the biblical stuff in this story is paralleled almost precisely all the way through by the science. So it isn't, uh, uh, you know, the triumph of, of science and this, you know, and knowledge only. It's also um, 
harking back to all those you know, early uh, biblical stories, you know, the Jonah and the whale, the uh, Leviathan, right? All of these stories where, uh, or the flood, right? He calls it the ark at one point, or they call it the ark. It's it's all of those stories sort of shoved together and, and said, well, yeah, they're not technically true, but they're biblical wisdom. And those stories uh, will be reinvented by, by this society. And it almost makes me think that Westover's, uh, sorry, Abernathy is saying that this wisdom is encoded also in the Bible and that there's a secret to understanding how we're supposed to, when we get wise enough, how how to shepherd the earth in the way that it has, you know, in the in the um, Genesis or something like that. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I, I think it, it what's it it almost feels like, and you know, we I don't know if we we mentioned, but uh, Abernathy was only a short story writer, and he only wrote uh, between the forty and the fifties. After that, he's a professor of uh, linguistics, but. It almost feels like in this story, he's trying to get all the ideas that he has for science fiction out, right? That the, everything has to be included. And he does manage to include an incredible amount of not just science of, you know, you know informing you about how uh, uh, parasitism works and, uh, you know, biology, but also of ecology and there's so many references here and there to these things that it 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 feels greater than it is and i i love this kind of science fiction where you 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 come away from it wanting to go research 10 or 12 different things <laughs> right and i think that's part of the the appeal of hard sf altogether it asks you uh it asks you to use uh your intellect even separate, in a sense, from your emotions. I mean, mm -hmm. if you don't, even if we didn't like Westover, although we do because he's got such pluck, you know, even if mm -hmm. we didn't like Westover, um, the story has us thinking about whether or not this is plausible, whether or not we really need to have different things going together and so on. And, and part of the way that that activity f is validated for us is exactly laying these these hints and sometimes explicit discussions into the story. So, for mm -hmm. instance, uh, Sutton says when he's explaining what's going on in this uh, this endo endoparasitic community, he says, well, we have 51, no, 52 now that you're here, right? 52 people. And well, you know, the, the author has slowed that down, the, the recitation of the number by giving it twice, 51, no, 52, enough to make us want to take the time to think, ooh, 52, 52, I know what 52 is. 52 is the number of weeks that gives a whole cycle to a year. 52 is the number of cards that make a complete deck. When, when Westover joins the group, now the group is complete. And of course, we, we find out is the group had not come up with the idea of how to kill these creatures. They had figured out how to live inside them, but that would have made them forever insiders, and they would never have been able to go back to a new Earth-like planet. You know, the the were they needed Westover. They needed his knowledge of how to kill these beasts. The the word Exodus um, in Greek literally means a way out. 
right? X out and O is the way. So inodose is the, is is one way streets in, in you know in uh, um, and so on. Um, but in the Bible, and I think you're so right. There's so many references to the Bible here. Um, Exodus is the book after Genesis. Mm-hmm. You know, in Genesis, you start up, you get an Eden, you know, and then things go badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exodus is named, we presume, I think, over, from the Exodus of the uh, the enslaved Hebrews from Egypt to go um, to the promised land. When we use the word Exodus in daily parlance, I think we simply mean getting going. You know, it was a tremendous exodus from the movie theater when, Ah. you know, but Mm -hmm. in fact, in the Bible, exodus doesn't mean just to go out. It means to go out towards some very important and special place. And what we have in Strange Exodus by Abernathy is a going out from a destroyed earth. Think of it as an after the fall in Genesis to a new chance at a new earth, which these creatures mindlessly will find for us because they are part of God's plan. It's just the evolution that the preacher understands is how the world works. Um, That's really, as you said, Jesse, amazingly hopeful. Mm -hmm. I get the sense that at the, you know, because they're they're planning for this, this, space voyage and they don't know how long it'll take uh, i get the sense that it'll last like for 40 generations you know that biblical number that comes up again and again 40 or 40 days of rain and 40 nights of rain right uh, which we have right at the beginning of the story too it the valley is flooding right yes and it's flooding because of these god monsters from outer space that you know just laying there in torpor during the during the night and it, it, it's so rife with this uh, sense of being science fiction and yet not saying, you know, forget about that religion thing and saying, no, th- th- those, those stories have value for a culture that is a, as crushed as the human culture has become, right? Billions of people are gone. Now we've got 52 people left. They're going to colonize the other parasites, they hope. Right. Right. And then we see this sort of fleet of ships, right, heading off to an unknown future, but a promised land is going to come. We don't know how long it'll take, but when we get there, human ingenuity will solve it. And this is, you know, this is true. When the story was written, when the story is published, uh, humans hadn't been in outer space yet. (laughs) Uh, uh, I mean, this may be our best hope for, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how technically feasible uh, creatures like this are but this might be more likely a way of us getting there than actual starships and the technology we've got um but uh, uh, there's the line also that i think is is um it's probably biblical or something like that uh related to it's a tapeworm can cross the sahara desert in the intestine of a camel right? Uh, right we can't live in space but these things can yeah, and so the, the ships that you're talking about, you know, these these are these ships are are in fact living creatures that we've been able to hijack. 
but they are mindless and we are minded. You know, um, the, the faith that humans have is justified again and again in this story. Um, on the, uh, the fourth or fifth page, I guess maybe the third page of the story, Westover is thinking, and he's, he, he's just, you know, he's, he's on this beast, you know, and he's remembering all of the bad things. And he just says, on, living on the back of this thing now that he's found a way to survive, if only someone had had the foresight to build a biological laboratory on the monster's back. <laughs> and of course, you know, what he finds is someone has had, if not the foresight, the actual idea to build a biological laboratory inside the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, this is back to the fairy tale aspect of science fiction. You know, in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, Gawain is going around. He can't kind of find the Green Knight's castle that he's supposed to do. Otherwise, he's, he'll be beheaded. Um, and the night before the deadline, he thinks, God, you know, if only in the morning I could go and find a road that did And son of a gun, you get up in the morning and there's the road. You know, in fairy tales, the universe is responsive to the desires of individuals, if you're the right individual. Mm-hmm. And much of science fiction is a power fantasy that readers can enjoy by feeling identification with one of the characters, typically the main character. In this story, Westover is the main character, and his wishes kind of come true. Mm-hmm. No, if only someone had had the foresight to build a biological laboratory. Okay, not on the monster's back, inside it. If only they had, well, son of a gun, they did. And in that sense, this story, as hard SF as it is, as intelligent as it is, as learned as it is, it's still a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Right guy, the guy who stands for Western culture, Westover isn't over. We just have to bide our time for, as you say, 40 generations. And then out we pop as good as new. In fact, new. But there's always more to say, isn't there? <laughs> 